Welcome to podcast number two of my favorite detective stories. Today's date is June 11th, 2018, and I'm your host, John A. Hoda. Our guest today is internet and social media sleuth, Cynthia Hetherington. Cynthia has more than 20 years of experience in research, investigations, and corporate intelligence. A noted authority and recipient of the 2012 Speaker of the Year Award by the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, her company, The Hetherington Group, is a national consulting, publishing, and training firm specializing in intelligence, security, and investigations. One of the most respected online investigators, Cynthia combines her Master of Library Science, Master of Science and Management, experience as a certified fraud examiner, and over 20 years of computer expertise to establish her company in the online and internet investigative industry. Cynthia founded the Osmosis Institute in 2015, the host organization of the annual Osmosis Conference, which provides open source intelligence, OSINT, insights, and due diligence and investigation training from some of the most recognized social media and open source trainers in North America. She is a prolific writer, and her titles and newsletters will be listed in the show notes. It is my pleasure to introduce Cynthia Hetherington. Mm. My Favorite Detective Stories podcast features past or present detectives and investigative journalists. As a working investigator of over 42 years, I hope to inform, inspire, and entertain you with great stories. We want to learn from our guests how they got started in the field and why they decided to become investigators in the first place. Listen as they tell us about the early years and who were their mentors and why those mentors had such a huge impact on their careers. We will explore what makes for a good investigator and what makes for good investigation. But most importantly, after you get to know our guests, we will ask them for their favorite detective story, or maybe two. Stay tuned. The interview is about to begin. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. It's very, very excited to be here. So uh, how's the weather down in beautiful uh, Jersey today? I have to say Spring has finally sprung in Jersey. We're starting to see new buds, and and uh, the sun's out. The air is pleasant. So for this five minutes, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I've been told that the sun is going to come out here in Connecticut today. And as we record this, it's uh, Thursday, April the twenty sixth, two thousand eighteen. But uh, the weathermen have been known to be wrong. So I'm holding my breath for that. Anyway. Hey, I uh, just want to mention, too, a uh, quick shout out. Um, the uh, Connecticut Investigators Forum had a, uh, one of our meetings last night, and it's a group of uh, private investigators to get together and talk about best practices. And your name came up in the conversation, and everyone in, of the 17 attendees uh, knew you, knew about your work with OSINT, and uh, knew about the uh, upcoming Osmosis Conference. So don't forget to tell me about that later on when we get that to that part of the uh, episode, okay? Always glad to hear the names getting spread around. It means all that marketing's working. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, and not only are you a good investigator, but you're also a good business person. And uh, that's uh, something that I we've had lots of conversations about. I think, wasn't it the last time we spoke was uh, on the Potomac River on a nice night down in uh, outside of Washington, D.C., wasn't it? it was a, that was a lovely event. We were at another uh, convention for another professional association, and I I remember you and I commiserating about, you know, it's not about the casework, it's about the 
marketing, people management, and billing. You know, it's all about the business. Yeah, isn't that something? And uh, and through the years, you know, we've both gotten better at it. I guess we've made our share of mistakes. Of course, we have, but uh, we have our share of successes. But the one thing, and one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on is I know that you're a very hard worker at what you do, and you've made a, a nice niche for yourself going forward. So this is where I, I get into the question and answers. And uh, my first question is pretty straightforward. Uh, when people ask you what you do, what do you tell them? You know, John, it's a great question because the question's straightforward, but the answer's never straightforward with me. Um, but for my everyday average Joe, I don't know who they are and I don't know where my answer is being redirected because if you, if I know you to be an attorney, I will guide my answer towards being, you know, you're being an attorney. If you're an accountant, the same, a business owner or, you know, my neighbor. But for the average everyday person, say like my mom's friend, I say, you know, I'm a licensed private detective. I'm a specialist in internet investigations and fraud. I'm a trainer and I am an author and I'm a, I'm a mentor to the new and up and coming investigative community. So, you know, that's the, the out of the box, you know, how does the state see me? How does the, how does the society see me? You know, a licensed private detective. But, you know, if I'm talking to an attorney that deals in intellectual property theft, I'm going to say, well, I'm an, I'm a licensed private detective who deals in intellectual property theft. Because mm-hmm. that's the business side of it. And if you're talking to uh, people in law enforcement that have to deal with, uh, say, terrorism or uh, some of the seedier parts of the Internet, you have a different uh, spin on that as well. I do. I tell them, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be a licensed private detective because that authenticates your position. So I'm a licensed mm-hmm. private detective that specializes in cyber counterterrorism training. Okay. And, now, you know, there's an answer for everybody, isn't there? <laughs> yes. Well, and, and there's the right answer. And that's what you give them. So my question, I guess, goes a little deeper in that um, many, many, many years ago, and I won't say how many, but uh, mm-hmm. you uh, you were a librarian and uh, started out uh, looking at this Internet stuff and using your librarian skills towards investigation. Can you tell, tell me about those early days? I'd really be interested in here. You know, that's the best part of being in a position that I'm in is that even in our earlier question is how do you identify yourself? What I did was I smiled and I put on my marketing cap. And I pitched the answer right back to you, but truly in my heart and how is how I got started and how I still personally identify with myself. I'm a librarian turned investigator. You know, I'm, I was handing out books. Uh, I was answering questions from consumer report magazines. I was uh, looking things up. See, when I got started, the internet wasn't really here. I mean, we're talking the early nineties. So the, mm-hmm. the Google wasn't here. I was Google. You came to me at the public library and you asked questions and I would go and find you answers. You know, I was a very, very real Google. So that skill set just evolved as the internet evolved and I and I embraced it one hundred percent, you know, and adopted all the new technologies as quickly as I could, um, and took advantage of that and turned it into, you know, answering you know, answering questions not for free, but answering questions for a fee, which turns us into investigators and analysts. Sure. And to that point, uh, you know, we're of similar time frames. Uh, I was an, an investigator pre-internet, and uh, it was – I learned what the – where to go for public record source, you know, your actual source documents, you know, that PSI uh, clerk's office would file the record.
the into the internet years and things were being digitized that I knew the background from where this data was originally sourced. And I think you have that same background as well. And that's something that is very unique to you. Whereas a lot of the new kids coming in, it's just, uh, you know, they turn on a computer. They don't know where this stuff is sourced from. Is that true? John, you said that so elegantly and really great and to the point. I couldn't agree with you more. The um, the expertise that, that, you know, and I'll call it out, that a real investigator has is not knowing where the answer gets spit out from, but knowing where it gets created from. As a librarian, I look at it from obviously my lens and I see it as information creation, storage, dissemination, and re and reestablishment. It's some things that I write about in my books where I talk about uh, knowledge ecology as data turns into information, wisdom, and goes back to data which is a very fancy and scientific way of looking at it, but it really comes down to this. If your computer's not working, how do you get someone's driver's license information? How do you find their, you know, their house deed? And to know where that information comes You and I are probably both quietly, mildly happy and surprised that the majority of the information today, given the Internet's going to work and our computers are going to turn on, really is quite accessible via electronic means. So I really feel that we saw it from the beginning and we're here now. We're going, wow, look at all that data out there. That's true. And you are on the cutting edge of that data. And we'll get to that in a minute. But going back again to those earlier days, so you're in the library doing librarian uh, work. You're doing real research, investigative. You're using critical analysis. You're doing your own form of link analysis. Uh, you're you're gathering information uh, for uh, the use of the people that come to you. When did you decide that you wanted to go uh, and use this in, in investigation? And how did that transition take place? Uh, you know, I'm going to backstep that up a bit because here's the interesting thing about librarians. Very rarely are they asked or are going to do analysis or, or, you know, connections, link analysis between data. Oftentimes, we are very much like Google. We're the center to retrieve information. Now, you know, that's a task in and of itself is knowing in the vastness of both, uh, you know, cloud-based, fusion-based, and textual-based information where everything resides. And that's what they say about librarians. We know nothing. We only know where to find it. But what started occurring in those early days for me as a librarian was that other investigators were coming into the library and were saying, I need to know more about poison or I need to know more about vehicles or or um, I need to locate where this property came from. And they would have a college ring with the name, you know, Hackensack on it and nobody would know where that was. So they would give me these little bits of information. And then I, I kind of broke away from the librarian mold and started doing real research and real analytical connections. And I thought, wow, this is really fun. These investigators don't just find the data, they interpret it and they pull it into something that's cohesive and intelligent. And they, you know, they present it as evidence or they give it to their client. And I thought that was kind of where the, uh, the, the, the first bite for me became really exciting. And I thought, I want to know more about what these folks are doing and gradually started moving my way out of the library into private practice. Okay, so tell me more. 
as a good investigator would ask. <laughs> the, the good investigator just said, let that girl keep talking. She'll give me something eventually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're giving me great, you're giving me golden nuggets already. I just want to keep adding to the treasure. That's all. But that, but that's the that's the funny part of it is I kind of fell into the craft. Um, I happened to be right place, right time. I was a librarian who was very adept at computers, which in that time frame, you're, uh, you know, we had three eighty six, forty six, and the brand new Pentium computers coming out. They were a fortune. They were thirty five, four thousand dollars then, and you know, very rarely did anyone really own one in their house. So you came to the library. Not only did you use them to write reports and create documents. You know, I was also helping people formulate their businesses right there in our in our libraries. But we also had people using it to use the Internet because that was also incredibly rare to be in someone's home. So I became a master of the Internet. In fact, I'm the first uh, titled Internet librarian at the time I won. If you can remember the company, the MCI Cybrarian of the Year Award, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. really on the for I was like way out there in the forefront. And I'm 20 nothing years old. Um just, you know, enjoying being a librarian, which I should remind your listeners is is a graduate degree in and of itself. I had made a career choice, John. I was going to be a librarian. I should be retired, living in Florida right now after a lengthy mm-hmm. career. So lo and behold, the law enforcement community start hearing about me and they start coming to the library and they say, well, what's this internet? So I showed them what was then the World Wide Web, which had about five or six websites out there. There was the whitehouse.gov, the Library of Congress, um, university sites. We were still at the time using Gopher, Veronica, and Jughead to gather a lot of our information that we had to. But John, I want to share this one story that really changed me. This was really the, this was the one. I had a PI who came in and he said, and you know, and for me to meet a private investigator was just the coolest thing ever. I'd never met a private eye before. I only seen and read about them. But this guy walks in and he's just a patron. He's sitting at my desk and he says, I need to find out about this drug called melissamide. And I thought, well, gee whiz, let me go to my encyclopedias and look it up, which is what I did. Today, you'd go to Wikipedia. Today, you'd Google melissamide. But back then, we didn't have those resources. So I started looking through paper resources and realized very quickly that my, you know, my town library couldn't answer his question. So I turned to the internet and I found a listserv that talked about um, forensics. It was called Alt Forensics. And these, these scientists were basically the medical examiners from all the different states and counties across the country. So I joined it. I said, these guys probably know the answer because, again, that's what librarians do. We find the answers and we get the answer back to the client and the client figures it out. So I wrote them and I said, hi, I'm a librarian from northern New Jersey and I'm trying to find out what melissamide is. And this private investigator needs to know about poison. And I said, and quite frankly, I've exhausted my resources here at the library. Can anyone give me a pointer, show me a way or help? John, within 20 minutes, I got an email from the Broward County Medical Examiner, like an authority, a real life, you know, scientist, the CSI guy. And wrote me back mm-hmm. and said, oh, have, have, have your patron call me. I'll walk him through it. I was like, snap, that was the moment that I said, oh, my goodness, this Internet's really very helpful. It's powerful. And by the way, the woman that the investigator was working for was being drugged with a gold roll leaf product or byproduct of gold roll leaf, which they use in printing and, and uh, making book covers. And, you know, just all for the sake of reaching out through this, this internet at the time, you know, this dark ether of information and pulling it back. That detective came back to me and, he, you know, he thanked me for the work. He told me the success of the case. 
And he said, well, you know, you should really consider a career in private investigations. And I was like, okay. So I started reading every book out there, Joe Cunningham, uh, a book called Finder, everything on PIs. It was the funniest moment because I was like so focused on being a librarian one day and then turned the, turned the coat and started looking for PIs because I got, I got bit. It was just, it's a moment where you realize this is my career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had nice, uh, you know, working hard. But you had a nice, comfortable position where you were looking at in your area of skill set. And now this Internet thing comes along and it's the it's the whole new frontier. And you decide also to uh, make an occupational change. So that those two combinations, you know, wanting to be a PI at the advent of the Internet was um, and your drive was the perfect storm to get going. So just, you know, fill in the rest of the blanks for me. I'm just I'm loving the story. Well, you know, it's funny because I'd like to say that I walked into the library one day and looked at the library director and said, this is going to be my new career path and went home and made a job, you know, you know, wrote out all the things that people who start new companies are supposed to do. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but that's not the way plan. it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You get your business plan, you write your report style. And, and as, a, as a mentor in this industry for the last 10 years, I could tell you, I've seen all the newbies coming in and their processes. And I will embrace this. Whatever gets you there, if it works for you, you know, I'll say go for it. But that's not the way I did it. I have yet to write a business plan. I still don't know mm-hmm. what I really want to be when I grow up. But mm-hmm. I, 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 I ended up getting pulled into this industry. It's really what happened. So kind of pick up from where we left off. I, I had the, um, you know, the detective who came in and that experience. And then he, like, admit, and this is a big part of our industry, mentioned me to another detective in his community. And then that started networking. And all of a sudden, I had my own little pool of detectives and police officers who'd come to my library from all over northern New Jersey and start getting, you know, research. What really uh, got my attention at the time then, I was at what was called the Teaneck Library, or what is called the Teaneck Library, and I was their technology librarian. The local police department came through and said, we want to get access to the World Wide Web. How do we go about it? What is it? I mean, these guys, they had no clue what the World Wide Web was. So I sat them down, I showed them, and they said, this is fantastic. In order to get a computer at our police department, we need to get uh, funding from the county. We got to write it. We got to make a pitch for it. So I went out and found, to help them, I went out and found all the local, or not local, but all the uh, online police officers I could, and I wrote them letters, you know, just basically started searching for them. And, you know, dear officer so-and-so, I'm a librarian from northern New Jersey. I'm trying to help my police department get gain funding for their own computer. Can you write a testimonial to how the internet is effective for you? And I got hundreds of replies. I mean, they just thought, and who knew the best pretext was being a librarian? But it was true. (laughs) It was true. You know, and so your listeners understand I'm not that kind of investigator. I'm not the one to do interviews. I have no poker face. I'm not, I'm completely behind the scenes. So so I'm writing them with the, the sincere honesty and they're writing back and they're saying, hey, we want to help your department. And I had everyone from the FBI, the state police, the DEA, ATF, and hundreds of local municipal officers writing saying, we're all using the internet in this fashion. It's very helpful. And this is where crime is going to be in the future. They loved it so much that I was helping that I started getting requests from them. And that's when it really started escalating. So U.S. Secret Service had a fellow who was leading the New York field office called Bob Weaver. And he started the Electronic Crimes Task Force. He asked me to come and speak to their association. Uh, High Technology Crime Investigators Association said, wow, there's a librarian in northern New Jersey who's very helpful. And they brought me in to speak at their meetings. And 
And I would go in there with my little, and the website's still out there, virtuallibrarian.com, because that's how they knew me in those days. I was the virtual mm-hmm. librarian. And John, you probably remember, it's probably how we met. Because I, I was, so. my eyes were the size of saucers, and I was walking into this field going, hey, you know, as a librarian, these folks have questions that need answers. And I was a librarian, and that's what I did is I answered questions. I was just out there volunteering my time and putting myself out there continuously. And saying, you know, because it's exciting. I mean, you're sitting behind a desk handing out a book on Marco Polo, or you're being asked to go to the World Trade Center and lecture to a Haida task force about what the internet has and what's available out there. And to an organization, by the way, that's never seen the World Wide Web. Imagine you're introducing Facebook to someone for the first time and just like getting blowing their mind. So eventually, this is the best part. One of the PIs, because I said, this is great on the public sector, but in the private sector, if I were interested in doing this myself, what do I do? So I started looking at the private investigator listservs, and I found some of the very first ones. Uh, Joe Senor started a PI group and a bunch of these cyber crime groups. And I joined, and I would just start answering questions there as well. And then a, a PI pulled me aside one day and said, lady, we get paid to answer these questions. <laughs> The concept of money never occurred to me. I was doing it for free. Oh boy! So and yeah. who and who was that? Uh, who was that wise sage? Uh, this, this is I absolutely can. This is the the best, um, and I will open heartedly say the best, most ethical, probably most successful private investigator I've ever met. Bill Vincent from VTS out of Chicago. He always he still has the website pichicago.com. Bill Vincent. Yep. It's one of these, um, gosh, one of these real forward-thinking investigators who really knows to wrap himself with savvy, intelligent, solid investigators and analysts so that he can get his work done. And he's always been known to follow his heart and how he does his casework, and he always gives back to the community. So back then, Bill Vincent reached out to me and he said, hey, you're really good with computers and you understand all this technology. And and he was part of a group called the National Association of Legal Investigators. You know, so he's like, you should you should look at this organization. You should think about, you know, getting your own license. You know, you just gave me all these opportunities that I should consider. And I thought, wow, you know, that's yeah, I, I just didn't hesitate. I'm like, yeah, what do I got to do? And uh, he hired me part time virtually, you know, all things that weren't happening in the day. You know, you didn't have virtual assistants. You didn't have uh, employees that didn't report to the office. You know, everybody still came to work every day. It was it was a different world. And um, he was one of the forethinkers that kind of brought me on. And I did everything from background checks and screening for him using public records and online sources to website development and, uh, you know, helping him look good at conferences by going out there and doing lectures for him. So really, mm-hmm. I, I credit him as my, my lead mentor in the PI industry. And if you don't mind, I just give you a breather and you can get a sip of water. Well, I tell my favorite Bill Vincent story. Um, I, I think it was shortly after I joined NALI, the National Association of Legal Investigators, in the early 2000s, that I was uh, at a crossroad. Uh, my first iteration of my business uh, was uh, stumbling along because of changes to the industry that I did not see coming. And I was pretty much blindsided. So I'm at a conference with Bill, and I'm, I'm asking him about his situation, his business model, and he gave me some fantastic advice, great advice, and you know, real straightforward, real direct, you know, no pretense whatsoever. And I went back, you know, after the conference, and I started building up my business, and I can credit him with uh, giving me 
the beginnings of the changes that I needed to employ in order to uh, survive all these years. And uh, and he gave me that information, you know, willingly and without any uh, pretense. It wasn't puffed up. Was just really down to earth about it, and really uh, helped me get my head on straight about how to go about deciding on who my target market was going to be. And uh, that's just another shout out for Bill. And if you're out there listening, Bill, I just want to thank you as well. But uh, so anyway, so now you, you're uh, Bill's uh, trusty sidekick, a virtual sidekick. And uh, and this was in the days when email worked sort of, and you could do, do um, attachments and send stuff back and forth. So you could communicate uh, across the, you know, from Jersey to, to Chicagoland, right? Oh, yeah. We were taking full advantage of what was new in technology and, um, and you know, and, and, and I shouldn't make it sound like this just got built the day before. I mean, the internet had been around quite a while, but our using it and our and investigative community finding use in it was new. So we were communicating just fine, phone, email, me doing my research. At the same time, I was still working, you know, partly as a librarian as well. I was going through a couple of remuneration uh, systems with libraries and technology jobs. And my little side practice, because he was essentially my first customer, because he, you know, brought me on as a protege, but he would also, you know, he was paying me and we were getting work done. And then if I built a website for him, then I went and built a website for, for Nally. I built probably most of the countries state by state, all of their websites at the time, because I was the only one who knew how to do it. That was that was it. I was always a page ahead in technology than the rest of the field. See, I have a library science degree, but I also have a degree in information technology from a Polytech. So okay. I was always, you know, and I can't stress enough to those coming up, you know, all that education does pay off in the end. So sure. it helps. And it's just, yeah. you know, meeting folks in an entire industry full of characters Meeting someone who's actually genuine, sincere, and honest like Bill Vincent was just the best mm-hmm. luck I could have ever had to introduce me to this field because, you know, there's some folks out there where you're always questioning what they're holding in their, you know, their second hand. And with him, he was always, you know, nope, this is how you do it. This is the best way to go forward. So I've taken his style forward in my mentoring and in my um, community to, you know, just be sincere with people. Yeah. that And that's a trait of a good investigator, honestly. Uh, I think that... Uh, you know, you were touching on something that I think my listeners would really know about is that in your formative years as you were coming forward, you were, there were the posers and then there were the people that were the real deal. And there were people that were, uh, you know, really doing the work and seeing a case through from beginning to end. And there were the other people that were just looking for a way to um, squeeze more money uh, and out of their client or increase their client's uh, fear and use that as a leverage to uh, increase their retainers. And I think, you know, uh, and that's just my, that's, um, maybe I'm uh, on my soapbox a little bit, but, and I'm not going to speak for you, but at least you had a chance to be able to see and discern between um, the posers, uh, the wannabes, and the, and the real deal. Can you just talk about that a little bit over, you know, what you've seen over the last 20 years and what makes a good investigator and why they are good at what they do? I, I'd really like to hear your you know, in this field, you're only as good as your last job, but mm-hmm. but there are other ways to differentiate yourself. And I mean, I've been everything from my solo career, you know, working kind of part time as an investigator, getting started still with one foot in the business world where they're keeping me paid and one in my new ambitious endeavor to being the managing director at Aon in charge of their intelligence products. I mean, going head to head with control risk groups and crawl and the big agencies. We were taking huge cases on. You know, I was managing and oversighting that. 
So I've experienced the full run of it. And I got to tell you, there's nothing more. Com- now I look back and laugh, but just the head to head frustration as an up and coming investigator, the posers and those people who have no compunction about stepping on your good achievements to make themselves look good or lying mm-hmm. to their clients about what they're finding to make themselves look better. And this is something as the technology has changed everyone in my community, you know, in the internet investigations world, there's a lot of really good talent out there now and nobody owns it. Uh, John, I can honestly say for a little period of time, 20 something years ago, I was it. I was the it girl and it was awesome. But, and, and, and in that case, not only was I doing casework and getting paid for it and having great successes being, you know, it was always a partnership. I'd have a private eye out there who's just great at surveillance, really good at interviewing people and understanding connections between things. He couldn't turn on his computer. So I would be the gal in the office, as he would tell me, to do that research, to find that data. And I still like, I still love that position. I still love having someone else be the face of the case and me being in the, you know, in the rear with the beer and the gear. But <laughs> but I'm not uh, the only kid in the in the back room anymore. Now it's, now it's, you know, hundreds, if not a thousand different investigators that could do the same work that I'm doing. So the way that you separate yourself from the pack can, should be your best work. But what we still see, and it's sad, is the backbiting and the, uh, you know, the false marketing and the, and the, you know, craziness that creates this competitive environment. And it's, it's pretty scary when you see it all roll in place like that, because, you know, I would be the first one to give them a leg up. I'm the first one to hire them. I'm the first one to subcontract work to them because I follow the Bill Vincent model of, you know, embrace your competition. Don't step on it. Sure. And one of the things I have, and I don't think my listeners have heard this, is that you don't stand taller when you stand on someone else's ashes. Uh, you can burn somebody, but it doesn't make you any taller or better or whatever. And, uh, and, I, and I agree with you that the more that you're reaching out to people of, uh, of, uh, that are moving in a forward direction, learning new things, adding uh, more to the pot, the, more, the stronger you get. And um, I know that uh, I am, I'm following in a far distance behind you when it comes to this stuff, but at least I know that you're there. So, and, and that I could call you if I'm stumped on something, I'll say, Cynthia, this is my situation. And in two seconds, you know, you're, you've, uh, you've shown me where I need to be and what I need to do. And, uh, and I'm, and I look like a genius to my client, but, uh, I also give my, my, uh, uh, my, uh, my uh, kudos to you. I wanted to say that all right, that I, I tell my clients it wasn't me, it was Cynthia down in New Jersey that, you know, figured it out. So, but, uh, you know, I like to think, too, that um, as we, we look at uh, good investigations, a good investigator trait, um, I think you've already touched upon it. Uh, ethical treatment of the client, uh, honesty, um, diligent work, uh, putting in the effort, uh, I mean, this this isn't something that uh, you found and discovered 20 years ago and sat on your laurels. Every single day is a new day in the Garden of Eden. I mean, yeah. am I right? Yeah. Oh, yes. It it's uh, it, it's uh, investigators have uh, long memories and short fuses, and it's definitely something that you want to keep an eye at. I always because you never know when you're going to need that person, and you know, 10 years ago that you would have been happy to shake a hand with or push off a bridge. You never know when you're going to have to go back. And this is just good business sense too. This is good business sense. Never burn a bridge in the PI world. 
You could be angry. You could step away. You can write that email, but you never send it. You just let it go. And I have to tell you, John, I've had great success as I've been an OSINT trainer since 1994. I've been training how to use the internet. There are many other professionals who now teach how to teach the internet. You know, many of them could say some of their first gigs came from me. Mm-hmm. And, and I consider that a collection of colleagues and friends that I share with. That's why I created the Osmosis Conference was to bring all of us together to teach each other to keep training and continuing and moving forward. It's always about moving forward. You, you make no money, no business and no good investigative sense by clinging. So, so it really helps as you, as you develop. And, and, you know, I mentioned Bill Vincent and I smile when I say his name because he opened up his, his, uh, his mind, his heart and his wallet to bring me in and teach me and train me in this career. And he told me that and he says, you know, always pay it forward. Always think about the next guy who could be making, you know, that case decision for you. And I've seen this in the law enforcement community where that rookie on a job 25 years later now is the commander of the, the state police. Or, you know, or maybe they were the sack 10 years ago of a field agent of a field office. And now they've retired. And guess what? They're the head of security for a corporation and they're going to hire you to do work. So my entire business model, (laughs) this is my business model. Be nice to people. (laughs) Be nice. Be fair. Be nice. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and don't dismiss your work. You know, always, always put your work first. Always put your, your trust your truth and your facts, you know, in an elegant form. So it, oh, it and certainly is out. a Krasner. Yeah, and it's not only, it doesn't only come out from you, but it also comes out from the rest of your staff too. I mean, when I, when you've asked me to work with some of your other people and I tell them what my, my tale of woe, and then all of a sudden they do their magic for me. And I can see a real, uh, real deep dive into what they were doing. And they're giving me more suggestions, more ideas. It wasn't just cookie cutter, fill in the blanks type of work. And, and I think that's also important too, is that, you know, as you give each client um, the you know, under promise and over deliver, I guess that's the word, right? Absolutely. So, that's that's yeah, the best thing real. that you could do is really not only, you know, put put the package together, put a bow on it and make sure the client is smart because it's about client relationships and it's about making sure that client is truly satisfied with the work enough to share your name with another potential client. Sure. That makes sense. So you touched on osmosis a little bit. I touched on it earlier. Tell me about the conference. Tell me what's coming up. Tell me what's going on. It sounds exciting. Oh, osmosis is, is our big, uh, is our big, you know, uh, mountain to climb every year, but we love this. And I, and I've created this conference because it was a mountain out there that nobody had climbed before. So osmosis stands for online social media and open source intelligence. It's a gathering of, um, I, I would call analysts because they're mostly corporate analysts private investigators, military intelligence officers, and um, law enforcement, uh, JTTF types, you know, fusion center, analyst, researchers, people like myself who sit behind computers to do primary amounts of their investigations. Just again, to differentiate, there's, you know, investigator is not one type of character. We're not all like Columbo or Charlie's Angels. In fact, I never okay. go outside of my office to do my work unless I'm teaching. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so there's, I'm not the only one out there, though. There's a lot of us who work at our desktops and conduct the primary amount of the investigative work that needs to be done. So this group of people need training, continuing education. And with the ever you know, evolving Internet and World Wide Web, now dark web, um, you know, new resources, monitoring social media, there's just so many resources that we need to keep 
abreast of to stay current, relevant, and to get our cases done that this forum meets annually. It always happens around Columbus Day week in October. So this year, it's going to be October uh, 7th to the 9th. And it's in Las Vegas, uh, right there on the Strip at the Excalibur. The website nice. is, as, yeah, oh yeah. Well, you know, you want to make sure. I'm, uh, as a twenty-something year conference speaker, I really have learned. Um, so you know, we have easy transportation, incredibly well-priced hotel rooms, and nonstop education and networking. What I've had an opportunity to do in my crossbreeding of librarian to investigator to private security and all the other events I go to, I took the best bits of every conference I've ever attended and brought it into my show. So this mm-hmm. is really, it's straightforward. We have he, a huge amount of other private detectives that come to this conference. And you know what they're really smart about? They come to the conference because the other group of attendees, the other half of the group of attendees are the people who are going to hire them. They're the corporation. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a, you, you should never fish in the same pond as all the other fishermen. You know, you should find that unique sure. place. You know, like a, an investigator goes to an attorney conference or me. Right. I'm at accounting conferences all the time. I'm at all these accountant sure. conferences because accountants need investigators, too. I don't go to PI conferences. So, you know, unless I'm building my own skills, I don't go there sure. to find work because PIs are competing with me. So. So this is a place to really go find new work, new opportunities, new jobs. One of my speakers last year, by the way, is now going to be heading up intelligence for Facebook. So there's an enormous amount of, you know, of interest in this event. It's at this fourth year. I still keep it small. We have vendors that serve our industry. They monitor social media. They do case management. They're public record vendors. They're social media vendors. Um, and then we have all the platforms there. So you'll see Twitter, Facebook, Uber, you know, they'll be in attendance at the conference. So it's, it's exciting. And I'll tell you what, since we started advertising only about a month ago, all of our speakers are ready and lined up. I have one of the founders of Tor. I have a retired NYPD detective and HTCIA president um, speaking on dark web remnant. We've got de-anonymization, how to find out who's sending stuff, but they're cloaked behind a screen. So you would think it's a super hacker-like technical conference. Everything is explained in terms that, you know, you and I can understand, John. That's great. So it's not over our head. And, okay. and, and for some and, people, and not, it's and, right And on. more importantly, I don't mean to cut you. More importantly, it's not an infomercial for their business. They're there to give actionable tips, real-life things, right? Absolutely. I have vendors. Yeah. Vendors are out there in their little special vendor room. Everyone that gets on stage is required to speak on actual usable tips and topics. It's also not them up there for 90 minutes telling their great war stories. Those are always interesting, but you get nothing out of it except, gee whiz, that guy's got a great career. Um, no, yeah. these people are actual investigators and analysts who do this for a living and then are sharing mm. their best tips with us. Well, it's, I got yeah. something to save my money. I have something to <laughs> save my money for, Cynthia. Again, and I've been to your... I've been down in the touching. Hey, you know, I've been to mm-hmm. your courses and it's always been good stuff. More, you know, more things coming out of my head that I could imagine when I left, when I, before I went down, uh, more things to try, more things to uh, work with, uh, more things to make my customers happy with. So, yeah, I mean, I, I know it's a win, win, win situation all the way around. So, um, you know, I'm going to ask you, you've, you've also been an author too. You mentioned that earlier. So just tell me about, about a few of the books that you think uh, our listeners would be interested in? 
Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, um, especially for those that are coming up or those that have retired out of maybe police force and are coming into their own companies now, uh, the Mm -hmm. guide to online due diligence investigations, which was originally business background investigations when I first published it. So this is like a second edition. The guide um, tells you about the places you would go online to find information, the resources that I'd recommend. They come from both, you know, investigative prowess and also librarian know-how. You know, like we're telling you about how to find assets in China without having to call, you know, a guy in China to go look that up. So that's very helpful when you're doing this on your own, when you're a solo investigator and you want to learn um, everything from my methodology about coming into investigations, crawl, you know, which is communicate, research, analyze, write, and listen. I give them a, okay. an analytical mindset of going into a case, taking it on, how to write it, how to write the reports, how to bill for it, but also all the resources you're going to do. So kind of start to finish. And then the other one that's really quite popular is the manual to um, public records. And that's a, a resource that many investigators turn to to find the deed in Montana, the marriage record in Florida. It's a, it's a reference guide from Alabama to Wyoming of what public records are accessible. And uh, to that end, one time, many, many conferences ago, I won that as a uh, prize at one, of the, uh, at one of the conferences. And it still sits on my desk today as we speak. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, John, I got one more uh, that I put out there. And if your listeners want to drop me an email, I'm happy to send them a complimentary copy. We have the Data to Know newsletter. Data to Know, D-A-T-A, the number two, K-N-O-W. It's all about that knowledge ecology. But Data to Know is published eight times a year. It's been published almost 20 years now. There's no advertising. I know. You know, I used to put it, this is, talk about funny and reaching back into the old days. When I was working at the library and those, you know, 30 to 100 cops were emailing me and writing me, they would ask the same questions over and over again. So I started writing like a little blurb, you know, that I would send out to all of them. And I said, oh, I can make this prettier. So I got someone to help me build a newsletter. And I would send this newsletter out to everybody. And then at some point it got, you know, postage, printing, paper. So we, you know, brilliant me, I decided to start charging for it. And the newsletter sustains itself. So the quality of the content is so valuable to the readers that we don't have to bring ads in. But you know, the real thing is, is like this newsletter covers Reddit. It covers Facebook. It covers Google. It covers unique databases coming out of France. It covers, it's all about the open source resources that are out there, data to knowledge. So, so the, uh, you know, the most recent issue deals with, it was a special issue dealing with Twitter bots. So that your listeners can explain back to their clients, what is this whole thing about fraudulent accounts and Twitter bots and how did the Russians hack the Facebook? And I sum it up in four pages. You know, I put it in there. Uh, Yeah. So the data to know newsletter is always something that I'm happy to share with your your listeners. And drop me an email, send it right out to them. uh, As we were sitting here today, I was just thumbing through it. Uh, (laughs) Volume 17, number one, where you're wishing everyone a happy yeah, 2018, and that uh, uh, you had a guest contributing loss, uh, author, uh, OSINT officer Jan- Janice Mondale, providing uh, articles on open source news content. So yeah, uh, right there in front of me. She's yeah. uh, Janice. I started bringing in other outside authors because one person cannot be the compendium of all knowledge. So Janice is former CIA um, and is the current Fusion Center 
uh, information manager out of Washington State. The nicest. I, we met at a librarian conference, you know, not in the normal, wow. usual places. So, so, yeah, I tap in. The next article that's getting published is by Ed Ajib from Nighthawk Strategies. He's this brilliant, young, new investigator who's really good at OSINT. And I have him talking about Snapchat. So really excited about the newsletter again. You know, it went through a lull for a couple of years. And now we're all jazzed up. It's got a new look, new feel, and a lot of real great information in it. Oh yeah, I mean it's and it's also a three uh, for us old guys. It has a three hole punch that I can put into a binder that I can keep on my desk. So when I'm scratching my head saying where am I going to find this information? How am I going to find that Twitter handle? I just takes me a few minutes to go through data to know, and there it is. And now I look like a genius to my client. So, I love anyway. it. You know what? I can't let go of the past, and that's why that's still there. But you know, for our modern searchers, it's also completely accessible and searchable on our website. So if they just okay. want to pop into Data to Know, they could do a quick Twitter search and go right to the content. But it's for everybody. Right. You know, that's that's the librarian in me. I have to make information accessible to everyone. Oh yeah, and good. And what goes around comes around. You know. Mm-hmm. So. All right. This is the point in the show where I always ask my uh, guests to tell me their favorite detective story. So, Cynthia, the floor is yours. Ah, favorite detective story. It's kind of hard to pick a favorite. They're like your kids. Um, <laughs> I could give you, you know what? I could give you a recent favorite. And some of these, uh, they're very poignant. You know, I, I try to tell my investigators that are coming out, my newest of analysts, that when you pick up the phone, always consider that the person who's calling you Unless they're the corporate security director of a company and this is their day to day job, you know, if it's a if it's a your neighbor, if it's the lady across town or if it's even an attorney who doesn't deal in this type of work, they're usually already starting with a little anxiety. I mean, why would you call Mm -hmm. an investigator except something's wrong? You know, the individual feels like something is is a mess. And our most recent case involved a young man who shot and killed his girlfriend and then had. Uh, confronted police and they had to shoot and kill him uh, in the in the action. And the, the the position of my client was as his employer. And he said, Cynthia, I need you to find everything you can about this guy and tell me, you know, what do you what was going up? What was leading up to this? Could we have found this, you know, before it happened? And so, you know, everyone starts off that case a little anxious because you're talking murder, homicide, you know, all kinds of awful things involved. So we start that case and we find that his social media footprint was really quite reluctant. I mean, weeks going up to it, he was talking about being upset about his girlfriend, about cheaters. He was making statements about her, you know, being dishonest with them, uh, about how disenfranchised he was with his employer. And all these indicators that when you look back, you know, as armchair investigators, we all go, oh, yeah, there it was. You know, sure. but you can't, you can't review everybody. And that's the delicate balance as an internet investigator we have that we would, you know, our best casework would prevent crime. We would always be watching people's social media profiles and saying, you know, this guy's going a little hairy or this guy's probably going to run in and start shooting up a school. But you can't do that because there's a certain set of, you know, principles that say stop spying on people. So, yeah, in the aftermath, that was the most recent and interesting case that we've had. And, and you know, sadly, they're always interesting when it involves homicide. You know, some some issues now that are coming up is that um, should law enforcement be more proactive when somebody like a third party or an employer or a concerned family member brings this uh, this uh, social media diatribes to their attention of somebody that hasn't done anything yet, but they are the possessor of gun, you know, and it's it's a real 
uh, it's going to be a conundrum that I think law enforcement is going to have to deal with uh, and have to deal with much more effectively going forward. Not saying that they're not, but I think it's becoming more obvious that the um, that if uh, the that 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 if not the police and maybe possibly some sort of a social um, counselor, what am I trying to say? Uh, you know, some sort of health professional, mental health mm-hmm. professional might be a, a good person to to be in an intervention position when people are seeing that. But I, am I, and is that the, um, the the tough spot that you're talking about as well? Or did I take that a step too far? No, I, I think that it's, it, you know, it's a much more global discussion that we look at and say, like, how could we prevent these things? I mean, first you get the freedom of speech, then you have the right to own weapons. So, right. you know, those two things don't have to be opposed. And, and if you want to go out there and take pictures of yourself and then say threatening things, you know, no one's going to. I'll tell you what, if I went out there today and I started saying threatening things and showing pictures of my gun and I do nothing but the police get involved with me, people say you're oppressing her rights. But mm. if I did something the day after when you found all that stuff on social media, you would say it's law enforcement's fault for not catching it. So this is quite a conundrum, and and I do not have yes. the answer to that. I think that's a really good conversation to consider because when we look at something after it happens and we see the remnants of the crime that were ready to be committed, we're like, oh well, gee whiz, if law enforcement was only watching little Bobby's Facebook account, they would have saw that he was going to go off his rocker. But yeah. if but if we get in front of Bobby now and he never did anything, it was like poor Bobby is is being suppressed and oppressed as a citizen mm-hmm. in the country. So. So it's, yeah. a, it's a it's a big thing. We do, you know, this is what I always say about our profession. Investigators do look at things after they happen. Because what else? You know, same thing with police. They don't show up before. They look at what things happen afterwards. That's why a lot of times when I'm talking to different clients, I'll talk about my uh, my work as an intelligence officer. I try to get in front of problems before they occur, so that they don't occur. Right. And. You know, that's what Intel does. Intel prevents the crime. Investigations explains it. That's a great end. That's a great end to that story. And uh, just for my listeners, how's the best way to get in touch with Cynthia and uh, Heatherington Group? Best way to reach me is to come to my website, heatheringtongroup.com, H-E-T-H-E-R-I-N-G-T-O-N group.com. And the, uh, the other way, you can also reach me through the Osmosis Conference. So Osmosis Con for conference, osmosiscon.com will also okay. bring you to, to reaching me. And again, you're welcome to write me, say, I heard you on the podcast. Please send me a copy of the newsletter. I'm happy to do that exchange with you and, and answer any of your questions. Okay. So, uh, so has this investigator done a nice job of interviewing uh, the guests? I'm completely sweated out. I feel like I've given <laughs> you my, my whole life story. I, 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 I you know, uh, like, I don't know, was it good for you? You know, I'm, I'm concerned about a relationship now, John. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it was wonderful. Uh, I, just, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't leave anything on the table, that uh, uh, my listeners had a chance to really experience, you know, you uh, from the beginning days through the present and got to see how you view the world and how you view investigations and what makes good investigators. So I really thank you for that. And uh, uh, maybe someday. Uh, if you'll, you know, if you'll take a chance and do another uh, podcast with me, uh, you'll have something more to tell me and uh, we will be able to uh, do that again if you want. Okay? That would be fantastic, John. Thank you so much for the opportunity, for letting me share my story with your listeners. And uh, please tell all the folks up there at your Connecticut meetings that I said hello and to reach out and say hello to me in person. All right. 
I'll make sure to tell them that. I'll be meeting with them before October. So uh, I will tell them they must go to the Excalibur in Las Vegas to learn. So, Absolutely. All right. Thank you. And I appreciate that so much. And, uh, and that concludes our uh, interview for right now. Okay. All righty. Thank you for listening. I hope that I've earned your interest and your time. Please leave any comments on the website, www.johnhoda.com, J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Our next podcast guest will be Pat McGahey, a Marine Corps veteran. Pat worked for over 22 years as a street cop and homicide detective in the city of Shreveport, Louisiana. He negotiated a successful ending to an intense hostage situation during a bank robbery, engaged in numerous high-speed chases of felons, and drove up on many late-night mini-street riots alone. He caught many professional robbery and burglary suspects, broke up parts of the Dixie Mafia, and escorted and protected several U.S. presidents and VPs along with movie stars. He investigated numerous rapes, murders, robberies, kidnappings, and street thefts. Pat learned to fly helicopters and airplanes and reported morning and afternoon traffic on a local radio station and later hosted TV and radio shows. He owned a production company, record company, and later became a residential builder with a commercial contractor's license. Pat is a prolific blogger with 51 stories on his true crime blog. Pat can tell some stories. This is an episode not to be missed. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear other great detective stories, please go to the website and click on our podcast page. There you'll find the backlit. Now, you're probably asking, John, what about your own stories? Do you have any? Sure enough, I do. And they are available to you free as a download right to your inbox. I have eight short stories and eight vignettes in a book titled Mugshots, My Favorite Detective Stories. Now, here's my ask. If you were either informed, inspired, or entertained by stories today, don't be bashful. Share this link with your friend. Better still, go to the iTunes website and leave a review. It's the best way to grow the circle around our campfire. If you have any questions, please contact me through the website, www.john. Hoda.com. J-O-H-N-H-O-D-A.com. Thanks so much and have a great day.